0: There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Jeff Mariola, the Chief Growth Officer at Mariola Unlimited. Jeff works with CEOs and senior management to transform leadership teams one individual at a time. Today, we're going to be talking about high-performing cultures. I met Jeff on a flight to Arizona several months ago. I was traveling for a presentation I was giving for the American Hospital Association, and Jeff was traveling to provide on-site leadership coaching for a company in Arizona. I was sitting in the seat by the aisle, and Jeff, unfortunately, got stuck in the middle seat. Well, as it turns out, fortunately. While we're waiting for the plane to take off, I noticed Jeff was working on a presentation in some fancy program that I'd never seen before. I was trying not to look, but the design was very impressive. We struck up a conversation, and I talked Jeff's ear off for nearly the entire flight to Phoenix. It was a great conversation, and I left truly inspired. Jeff understands leadership at the highest level, and his insights and strategies provide so much depth and knowledge through his coaching and mentorship, he is driving the highest levels of results for companies and individuals he is working with. Jeff brings over 25 years of CEO experience in four fast-growing businesses, two multinational public companies, and two startups to our conversation today. Jeff takes incredible pride in the fact that more than 15 of his former direct reporting managers are currently in C-suite positions, like Chief Executive Officer, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer. Hello, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello,
1: Danny. It's good to hear your voice.
0: Yeah, good to catch up again. Isn't it crazy how you're getting on a flight, you're just getting ready, this boring three and a half, four hour flight, and the next thing you know, <laughs> it's this incredible friendship, right? That that was that was, I will tell you, my friend, that was the most memorable flight I've had in a very long time. Well, thank you so much. I, I, feel I know like you're am yeah. Yeah. I tell you, we, um, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Today. Thank you for taking the time. You have so much going on. It's, it's like you're everywhere right now. Jeff, let me start by asking as a leader, is there anything, is there any greater accomplishment than helping others become the best version of themselves and watching them achieve success?
1: I, Danny, I don't think so. I, I, and I know I speak for a lot of leaders and managers that I've worked with and worked for, you, you think about legacy, particularly now as I'm getting older and a lot of my colleagues and friends are getting older is, you know, what's legacy? Legacy to me is, is, is that knowing that, that, you know, isn't our role to look into the eyes of the people that we're working with and see more in them than they see in themselves and and what greater gift to be able to know that you've made some part of a contribution to their personal and to their business growth. And then they end up expanding into careers that they never thought were possible. And to know that you had your hand in that a little way is to me some of the most gratifying work that you can do. I think it's the responsibility of managers to see that inside. Because you know how challenging we can be with our own self-limiting beliefs to to go in there and and work with them and develop them. And to see that happen to me is, is arguably uh, the greatest gift of leadership.
0: Jeff, for me, you just described the, the power of leadership. Like if people aren't in leadership for that reason, to be adding value, to be helping people become the best versions of themselves, to help them accomplish even more than what they've accomplished, they're on in the wrong business, right? What well, you what you drove home there to me? That's the power and essence of leadership. Very, very powerful. Jeff, let's talk about creating high-performing cultures, right? That that old uh, saying or slogan: "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." I think you're a big believer in that yourself. Uh, when that's you begin- Peter Drucker,
1: by the way, I mean that's that's the you know that's the founding father of
0: management as we know it. Wow. So, so powerful. And to be here talking to you today about high-performing cultures, cultures what transform and and changes everything within the organization. We're talking about creating high-performing teams, employee engagement, ownership, organizational excellence. Jeff, let me ask, when you begin to work with companies or CEOs on this topic, where do you start? Well, the starting point, and I'm going to walk you through uh, an example
1: because I'm in the middle of that process right now. So if it's, if it's, this is a middle market company, um, a management, senior management team of six. So where I usually start is I want to meet with the executive team first. And, and Danny, I approached that with great humility and, and, and no preconceived notions of what to expect, even from my research. I want to get a real sense when I meet with the leadership team couple things I'm looking at. Where do they believe they're at on performance? And that's a very measurable, very easy thing to see. But most importantly, I'm looking at the culture and trying to make a determination of of the different types of culture. And particularly, I'm looking to see if they're a high growth, high profitable culture, because there's certain indicators to that. I look at to see if it's an impulsive type culture, which is probably the lowest End of the performing cultures, meaning what do I mean by impulsive? Just kind of anything goes. Or it could be a dependent culture. And that's what I'm trying to pull out of, of my due diligence there. What's a dependent culture? You know them, Danny. They're command and controls. People follow the rules, they do what they're told. Or sometimes you'll find a highly independent culture. That's a much higher performing business. And what you find there is a lot of great individual performance. But the goal of, I believe, any executive coach, anyone that does the type of work that I do, is how can I move this business to the highest level of growth, profitability, and colleague engagement, which to me is an interdependent culture. That's When you, when you do the research, when you look at high-performing companies, you will find they're highly interdependent. And the difference between them and the independent is the team element. You could almost phrase it that we are truly successful together. That, that is, so I'm trying to determine where I think that culture is across that spectrum there, from being impulsive on the low end to interdependent on the high end. And then we get into the discussion around if they have a vision, if they have a mission, what are the core values of the business? And once we get that into discussion, I can I can make a determination about
0: where to go next. So when you come in, you, you talk about you're trying to determine where the culture is. And I think something you've talked about to me in the past is like when you walk in the door, you start to feel and see what the culture is and and you talked about you that whole idea of no preconceived notions and just taking everything in can you talk about like how are you determining w- where the culture is because where the ceo and the executive team thinks it is might not be where it actually is
1: oh absolutely uh, absolutely you're so what you're what you're trying to get a sense of is i'll try to move around the office you know in a lot of businesses there's what there's two kinds of truth there's official truth And oftentimes, that's what you hear in the corporate meeting room. That's what you hear from the senior management team. You hear a lot of the things that they want you to hear. But at some point, you have to get out amongst the business. You have to get around the office and get a sense for what the talk is around the water cooler. That to me is ground truth. I want to know what's happening. You can. You can gather that by spending time with the executive assistant. You can find that by talking to if there's a receptionist there. You can have a coffee, have a a drop by someone in the office there and just have a general discussion to try to determine if there's consistency between what I'm hearing in the executive suite and what I'm hearing out in the field or out in the office.
0: Yeah. And when you walk in a place, just the way you're greeted – Says a lot about what their commitment is, what their values are. Their commitment, service, profession.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You get a real good sense. It's a very visceral experience. You, you know, you know. We've we we talked on the plane. I, I have this little measurement I I I do myself that's related to, the three types of individuals that you have in organizations, and I can find out generally in a couple hours of, of of moving around anyone's business in their office. And the three types are kind of related to the emotional brain, which is freeze, flight, or fight. And if I meet that kind of person that for me is in freeze mode, well, what are the indications? They're just doing enough to get by. They're kind of frozen. They're doing enough so they don't get fired. But they're not engaged in the vision and the mission and the values of that business. And then I have those that are in flight mode. They could be high performing individuals, Danny, but what I mean by flight mode is they probably have their resume out to three or four different businesses. What I'm looking for in my own organizations, what I'm looking for to find are fighters. And what I mean by a fighter are people that are so engaged, they're so enrolled in the business, and we'll talk about the reasons why, but they're so engaged they're finding meaning. They're finding their purpose, that they fight, that they're willing to do whatever it takes for that company to be successful, and they're doing it for themselves, and they're doing it for their families. But they're completely enrolled and aligned with the objectives, the mission, the vision of the business. And that, that when I find that, that's how do I
0: leverage that? How do you begin to build on that? I think as people are listening and wherever they're listening at, whether they're working out or they're driving in their car or they're on a bike ride, whatever the case may be, when you talk about that fight, like that's what everybody wants, right? Is, is a group of, if you return to refer to them as fighters. So, so when you're looking at this culture and I think this is something you're going to get to um, and and you tell me the way you want to flow with this, but, but how do you start to shift people and get people to that fight phase?
1: Well, if you, if you again, I'm trying to determine if we're talking culture, let's assume, Danny, that they do have a vision, a mission, and a values. What I want to know is where did that generate and are they living them? You know, it's one thing to walk into someone's business and see their vision up on the wall and see their mission up on the wall and the values scattered here and there, but are they living them? And that's a very easy thing. Again, stop at the water core and ask anyone in their business, tell me the mission of your business. And if it just doesn't flow, if less than half the people that you ask that can't tell you what the mission of the business is, there's a disconnect. So if this company that brought me in, they wanted to do a complete reset. They feel that the, the, the culture is just not as engaged as it once was and you can see it in their performance, you can see it in their turnover, you can just feel it. It's palpable when you walk in the office. So we start with the vision. And the vision for me has to come from the senior leader of the business, whether it's the owner or whether it's the senior manager, the CEO. I believe that the vision is the one core responsibility that a business owner has because he or she Is projecting outward whether it's three years or five years where they see this business and that message is an internal message that you're sending to each and every one of your colleagues and I know and just look at your own experience Danny that's where as an employee as a colleague as a co-worker I find my Purpose. I find my career. I find my future for me and my family. So that vision better be extremely compelling, and speak to every individual in the business. So I start there with the CEO. Start there with the
0: ownership. Jeff, what does so when you talk about vision? You talk about it needs to be compelling. You know something that you've told me before in conversations that we've had is is that. Everyone wants to make a difference. Everyone wants to make a contribution to the greater good. And so this vision is about that. Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah, the vision is speaking to where you see the business going over some
1: period of time. And remember, let me come back to this. You know, we all have two brains sitting on top of our shoulders. We have that primitive brain and that executive brain. But when you're talking about vision, when you're talking about mission, when you're talking about values, that is an emotional brain activity that a colleague in the business is making. And this is where I think a lot of businesses get it wrong, is that they start by trying to change behavior. You can't start there. Behaviors are an executive brain activity. You have to have a compelling vision where emotionally I can connect and see my future. That's what drives me. And then the same thing applies. What's the mission? Well, you know, the mission is a little bit different than the vision. The vision is an internal measurement that shows me where we're going. It's aspirational. It's compelling. I'll give you a a great example. And and so you think about high-performing companies, Danny. Let's get the ones that are that interdependent cultures, the ones that are outperforming everyone in their industry. Take a look at Southwest Airlines' vision. Southwest Airlines wants to be the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable airline. I challenge you, Danny, to think of any, how many visions do you see out there that use the word love. It's no surprise to me that Southwest Airlines outperforms every other US airline every single year. Outperform them in their financial results. They outperform them in their efficiency. And as importantly, they outperform in the net promoter scores or the engagement that they get from their customers. And from their coworkers. Number one in all four of those categories. And for me, it's because they have a vision. It's a message they send out and they live by that vision, and people get enrolled in it. They see the growth. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, they wanna be the world's most profitable airlines, the most efficient, the most loved. They know they're not there yet, but what that says to anyone that's working there, that I have a future here that I can get aligned around. And I happen to believe that their vision is a big component of their overall success. And I just looked recently, they were voted the number one airline at looking after customers through this whole pandemic. Just consistently great behavior.
0: You know, and, and now more than ever, Jeff, and a lot of this talk, and we look at Gen X and we look at the millennials and, and Gen Z, very purpose-driven. Uh, you know very very purpose-driven there's a lot of talk and I think it's brought it and I think the cool thing is the awareness is in Simon Sinek talking about starting with why and purpose and and that really being across many platforms that isn't something that's brand new but it's become more and more important to, to everybody in in the workforce I love hearing the boomers um, you know talking about that and when we tie things to mission and purpose we are going right in and our in our vision, as you're talking about, right into that emotional brain. We're emotional people, right? We're driven by mm-hmm. our emotions. Absolutely. So so powerful. So powerful. So so Jeff, what about mission? What's the difference between the vision and the mission? Well, the
1: the vision, Danny, that is focused inward. That that's the message I'm sending to all my colleagues in my business. And again, it has to be compelling, it has to be aspirational. The mission, well, let me back up. So I, I mentioned I go to the CEO or the owner, business owner, to work on the vision. After that, Danny, they kind of exit the work that I do. Now I want to get inside the company. I want to work with, if it's line managers or whoever the management team that, that looks after the customer-facing individuals because the mission needs to come from a cross-functional group within the business. In fact, I don't even bring senior management into any discussion about creating the mission because the mission for me is business-focused outward. This is what we're wanting to fight for. This this is This has to come from the men and the women that are, providing the value to their customer base so i need their input i need their thinking i need their passion so the difference between the two is the vision is focused inward to the colleagues the mission is focused outward to every one of the stakeholders in the relationship with that company from suppliers to customers to colleagues to board of directors Name all the stakeholders. This is what we're putting our stake in the ground for. This is what we're fighting for. And you've heard countless. There are, I mean, just think about some of the missions out there. People wonder, why do do they knock down doors? Why do engineers want to get hired by Tesla? Why do they want to work for Tesla? I mean, they have absolutely no problem finding the top talent. Tesla attracts the highest level of engineers in the automotive industry hands down and has ever since they started. I challenge you to look at their look at their mission statement to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable en- energy. Ha! Huh, whoa! Think about that. That is powerful. That's just not going to work at a car company, is it Danny? Accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. If that's aligned with your purpose, if you find meaning in that, how do you think you're going to perform at Tesla? At the highest possible level. That's the power. That's the movement that can happen when you have a compelling mission statement. And, you know, I'll go back to Southwest because I, I love what they do. I follow them. Their mission is, is to be the highest quality of customer service. And they deliver that with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride, and company spirit. And I know that one because I use that a lot when I'm talking to people about compelling missions. It flows for me, but stop and look at the words, high quality delivered with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride and company spirit. What are those, Danny? Those are all visceral, emotional connections that they are making. It so lines up with their vision statement of being the world's most loved. It takes emotional, caring, warm individuals to work there. So it's a great example for me of a company that's joined up with their vision and their mission. And I get why people want to go work there. I mean, who, who wouldn't? want to work for a company whose mission was to be the highest, the warmest, the most pride in company spirit. It just sounds like an electric place to work. And you experience that as a flyer when you fly. I I, I challenge you to go look because I've done this. Go look at United or Americans mission statement. Go look at their vision. You'd think we're reporting into wall street. There's very little emotional connection, yet that's why we do what we
0: do. Yeah, 100%. So you're talking about the vision. That's about when somebody comes to work there, how do they make a bigger difference? How, how are they creating to the greater good? It's compelling. It's aspirational. But the mission, and when you're going into these companies and, and changing culture, this interdependent culture, and I first thing I think of when you talk about this is like a family, right? That's what... We're trying to create absolutely, um, absolutely. and yeah. aspire to at the city. But when you work with and you're trying to reshift your culture and change your culture, what you're doing is generating and creating incredible buy-in. And it the the thing that that comes to my mind is that whole idea that people support what they create. People are involved, mm-hmm. they get invested, they become committed. If they're if they're not in, invested, how are they going to be committed? And how are they ever going to become invested if they're not involved? And so your strategy here just like fires on so many so many cylinders for me. And it gives a much clearer level of importance and clarity around vision and mission for me and I think, Will, for, for so many that, that are listening. Yeah, and if you think about it, we talked about the vision. You know, that describes the future.
1: It needs to be clear, specific, measurable. It's really for our people. It's the mission where you get the cross-functional team and they share it back with their team members. But that's, that's, that has to inspire people towards excellence and personal achievement. That's how you get to that interdependence, Danny. It really should reflect why we do what we do. It begs that question, what wall do we want to climb? Wow. i give you a, another example that really hit home for me. And this was a few years back. But Steve Jobs, when he first started up Apple... This is the day bef- days before there were a lot of personal computers. But he, he was on a mission. And I don't know if you remember the mission of Apple back then, but it was to put a ding in the universe. It's that same power, that same impact that Tesla has. Who wouldn't want to work for a company that we were going to make a ding in the universe? But but what, what struck me was an article that, that one of the uh, workers there, one of one of Steve Jobs' co-workers shared a story because, you know, you got to go back to those days when they were just creating Apple. Your job for the most part, the majority of the people working there were sitting at a desk, probably in an office where it had no windows in front of a screen and they were spending anywhere from 12 to 16, 18 hours a day doing what? writing code code so how do i find my meaning and my purpose in that well you have a compelling mission which is making a ding in the universe but you reinforce that with behaviors and the story that one of his coworkers told was that he would been sitting at his desk all week putting all this code together and this is the days when you turned on your laptop or you opened up your computer And it took almost two to three minutes for it to come on by the time the connection was made to the internet and everything else. It took forever for computers. And most people don't remember those days, I do. And he looked that programmer in the eye and he said to him, Danny, what's our vision? What's our mission? We're gonna put a ding in the universe. If you can reduce the time that it takes to open that computer up to where I can start working. If you can reduce it by a minute, can you imagine how much time we're giving back to society? If there's 500 million computers out there and every time they open it up, we're saving them a minute each. Do you know how many days, months and years we're giving society back so people can make more of a difference using this technology? It puts a whole different perspective on what I'm doing when I'm sitting there programming code into my computer. Is he writing code? No. He's saving lives or he's giving higher productivity and making a difference. That, to me, is the power of having a very compelling mission statement.
0: Wow. Love it. Absolutely love it, Jeff. So, so powerful. Great great example. Way to bring that to life. Because uh, it really does, when you talk about that story, it really brings it to life at a whole nother level. Jeff, so you, you dial in with the the owner, the top executives on the vision. You go into more middle management, managers, the, the team on the mission. What comes next? Well,
1: you need to establish, if you don't already have them, a set of values and, and core values. And most, most, a lot of companies do. Again, you have to Get underneath it. You have to make people feel a little uncomfortable. Are we are we one aware of them? Again, ask somebody at the water cooler, what what are the values in your company here? And if again, they don't flow, then I know that there's disconnection. There's work to be done here. This is also another emotional connection that we make because the values you choose, the values that represent are the fundamental beliefs on which this business is going to be based which means they're non-negotiable. If we say we value this, everyone in the entire organization values this. And you need to think through the reasons why. Because values are external and internal. If I'm out there talking about our values, I'm talking it not just internally to my colleagues, I'm talking it to my suppliers, I'm talking it to my clients, I'm talking it to my customers. But again these core values should inspire the team. And you know, here's the rub. People think, well that's just warm and fuzzy. No, it's not. High performing businesses, high performing individuals, high performing teams align everything they do, their behaviors to their core values. And that's the difference between a high performing company and a average company. Most People will go in and put a vision together. They'll put a mission together and then they'll create core values that they choose to live by, but they stop there. The companies that get to levels of performance that are unheard of, take those values and align them with the behaviors for every single role in the company. And when you get to that level when it's systemic in your business that people are behaving according to the values and holding each other accountable to that, you see
0: businesses take off. So something you said um, a second ago, as I'm listening to the the, the core values, this emotional connection—they're non-negotiable—and people talking about this is too warm and fuzzy. I, I think you know as we think about that, warm and fuzzy is what drives emotions. And think about like if you ask somebody like what you what made you. Fall in love with her, or what made you trust him? But those things all come down to emotions, and trust is what ends up creating relationships, meaningful relationships. Relationships create influence, and, and influence, and in, in, in my opinion, I think yours is is leadership. And so, when you look at driving these emotions, emotions drive trust, and, and call it warm and fuzzy or whatever somebody would want to, but but this is where the very best companies and leaders in the world are are getting it right. And you just drove home such an important point there as as you're bringing this to life.
1: Well, you know, to your point, there is a heavy emotional connection to that. It's only once we get to that point where we've identified those core values, we're all aligned around the mission of the company. And I see my future in that vision. Those are all emotional connections that I'm making. When it comes to making great decisions about the business, when it comes to taking action, when I have the autonomy to live those values, then it becomes a very executive brain exercise. That's what behaviors are. It's making great decisions. It's taking great actions. And the leaders that empower their teams, they trust their teams they live by their core values means that they behave by those core values and that's why they're not soft. So so you know name, name me the value. I have one of my clients that that they rave that rave is a is a is a value of theirs. They like making raving fans of their customers. Well, the behaviors, it's great to say that, Danny. So what does that mean? What does that mean to that individual that's customer facing? then you start looking at all the behaviors, all the decisions that that individual makes every single day when they're touching the customer. Down to the greeting, if I'm trying to make those moments of truth remarkable, then I'm looking at how do I behave? How do I meet and greet a client? What what promises and guarantees do I share with them? so if you create a list of of behaviors that align with every single role tied back to every single value you have a recipe for a successful business model that's completely interdependent because everyone relies
0: on each other it's co-accountability to do their part you know the, the thing when you talk about this and it brings it to life is something i believe in to my core and I talk about with our team a lot. We can't write out every single situation we're going to face. We can't write out how every single person is going to act or react. You know, we can't tr- problem solve for for every challenge, but if we're driven by our values when we encounter each of those situations, our values drive our actions and that is just so so powerful. Let me give you a, a, an example that on a company that just made a
1: huge impact on my thinking here. And this goes back a few years, but Congress awards the highest level of quality service in different industries. I think there's a total of six industries. But in the service industry to win it, it's the Malcolm Baldrige Award. And back in 1986, I think Congress enacted that. It goes to the single company in the category. So in the category of service, and I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that have tried to win that award. The Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group has won it twice, not once, they've won it twice. And one of the responsibilities of winning that award is that you have to give it back. You have to pay it back in the form of providing other industries the learning and development that you have that brought this to light, the reason you won the award. So Rich Carlton has a leadership and management and culture training program that they put on. And I took my service team and spent a week at their headquarters going through how they do what they do. And if you wanna talk about a company that is joined up and aligned around their vision and their mission, and you know their mission—it's it's, their their mission is so simple. It's we treat ladies and gentlemen as ladies and gentlemen. I mean, they 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 care about their people. So in other words, we are ladies and gentlemen who care and look after other ladies and gentlemen. That's that's part of who they are culturally, and they back that up by empowering and holding each other accountable to their core values and their behaviors, which they call their credo. And you see it when you're there. It was one thing to take the course, Danny. It was another to get out and about and see what they do. I'll tell you one, two two things happened to me when I was there that just showed me what a high performing culture can do. Because remember, they're hiring the same people that the Marriott or the Sheridan is down the street. Your hotel is ninety percent of the colleagues working there are working frontline. They are cooks, they are administrative folks, they are housekeepers. They're in, in the in the hotel down the street is hiring the same. And compensation wise, they're pretty similar. But the big difference, the root of what they do is they live their core values. They are mission driven. And the other sense that you get about treating each other as ladies and gentlemen is that they empower every one of their teammates. At the Ritz Carlton, you have the autonomy. There is so much trust. It's one of their core values. There is so much integrity in the relationships that they are empowered to spend upwards to $2,000 a day without having to get permission to satisfy a guest. If they see something, they are empowered to act. And when I was there, I saw it happen. And it certainly wasn't planned. I happened to be poking into a room that was a meeting going on, a pretty large meeting, and a gentleman sitting at the table had spilled a cup of coffee on his shirt. And I watched one of the Rich Carlton servers walk over there. And he was attending to this gentleman, looking after him, cleaning him up, And now I know what he was doing, but at the time I didn't. He had pulled back his collar. And I'm thinking, what's he he doing there? Well, what do you think happened? When that gentleman got back to his room, he walked into his room and there was a brand new shirt. The server had taken it upon himself to go down to Nordstrom's and buy him a shirt and put it on his bed. Now tell me you wouldn't want to work for a company where I was treated and i was respected in my role i got to believe they're going to knock down walls for individuals
0: it's just a powerful experience that was that's incredible what a, what a story i mean and when you're in cultures like that you can you can feel it there's this intentional professionalism intentional service intentional commitment to excellence that you just you just feel it when you walk in places like this a lot of times you know it right away if they're getting it right from top to bottom, it continues through that organization.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's contagious. The, the level of passion and enthusiasm
0: in the individuals that work there is palpable. So we've talked a lot about these values that guide our actions and, and the actions. You know, we're talking about the, the vision and we're talking about the mission and we're talking about the values being in the emotional brain and then those transition to the executive brain to behaviors and actions. Do you want to talk, one of the things you talk about is the power of business uh, rituals. And and I know you've talked to me about these business rituals before and, and it just really grabbed me and, and stuck with me.
1: You know, this was real learning for me, a guy named Dan Gilbert, who I learned a lot of things around culture. He was a, he was a speaker and became a mentor of mine in our network. And, and Dan Gilbert introduced the idea of, of rituals to me And I brought them right back into my business. Rituals are there to reinforce the behaviors. Because remember, the behaviors are the way we respond to specific circumstances or situations in the workplace. It's what we do, Danny, every single day. It's how I behave at work. But they need to be connected. They need to be lined and joined up to the values. If I have a value of integrity, so I define what acting and behaving with integrity is in my company, in every single thing that I do. So why? We can measure it. If these don't become measurable, then they don't become high-performing. That's So you make these behaviors systemic. They there are what we do every single day around here, and they are tied back to the values. But the concept of rituals, which he opened my eyes up to, and again, I, I've witnessed it, rituals reinforce those consistent behaviors. You know, popular book a couple years ago was Outliers. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell. Not certain, but I think it was a guy that wrote a number of intriguing books. But he did his research on outliers. How do you get to, to, to the level of high, high performance? I mean, talking now in the top 1% of your craft. It's that saying, Danny, you do something a hundred times, it becomes embedded in you. You do it 10,000 times, you're a master. And Gladwell spoke to one of the similarities amongst all these outliers. People like Tiger Woods, people like the Beatles, that they didn't all of a sudden come into fame. On average, they practiced over 10,000 hours at their craft. Well, rituals kind of do the same thing. And rituals focus on behaviors, but you do it consistently. So an example would be daily huddles. Businesses are now starting to do daily huddles. That's a great way to reinforce the culture that you've created. It's a great way to sense check. It's co-accountability around the mission, around the values, around the vision. It's a check-in. So let me go back to the Ritz-Carlton. I'm sitting every morning, they were doing huddles before that word became popular. I'm sitting in the huddle of the Ritz-Carlton team, and this is with the cooks and the whole chefs group back there, the servers. And every morning they have a brief huddle. To check in, somebody identifies Some of the guests that are there, they're so good at identifying their guests, they have photos of them. And they say, if you see this person here, you know that they like this. But so that's the practical side of the meeting. But one of my takeaways from that huddle, every single meeting that I attended, they started off with a value. So our value is integrity, Danny. Tell me yesterday an example of where you lived that value. That's when you know that people are behaving, that they are performing at the highest level, consistent with the values and the mission of the business, that level of accountability. And what the other, the other takeaway there was I sat, you know, I was there for a week. There were a couple of times someone said, you know, I really didn't excel at that yesterday. It's okay to fail in cultures like that as long as we learn something from it. So people feel completely safe. They feel completely vulnerable to be able to share their experiences, and I think that's a powerful example of a
0: ritual. That is powerful. the The idea of failure and what our relationship with failure is, and these interdependent cultures, and we talked about them being, you know, family like. Um, you're never getting kicked out of your family. Your family always absolutely comes back, even when you do something that's silly or you make a mistake. They pick you up, they dust you off, they give you a little bit of encouragement. You go on your way and that's a big deal, right? Because that's not happening everywhere. No, no, (laughs) not at all, no. There's still
1: a lot of command and control out there. I, I, I see companies, Danny, right now that are very nervous because of the people working from home and they're nervous because they don't see them walking into the office. And so think about what's underneath that, a complete lack of trust. Do you think I'm going to knock down walls for you if I notice that you're looking at your watch when I walk in the office? What are you saying about that individual?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, Ab- absolutely. It, you know, here. I th- I believe that the biggest challenge facing organizations, facing communities, facing our country, facing our world is leadership, and the kind of things we see on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram from from you know leaderships about. You know, not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in, in your charge. Simon Sinek talks about that, but I don't think that that's happening in, in a lot of places. It's happening in some places, and this is such a big deal the work you're doing, going in, helping me, because some of this stuff is so easy and, and simple, but it's just maybe for whatever reason you get bogged down and looking at the financials or the results, you get bogged down in all the emails, you get bogged down in these tasks. and it's so easy to forget about the people and the importance of, of all the stuff you're talking about and you know you come in and either reset that or create that with companies so just such an amazing amazing thing um, well when we were on the plane and talking we had a, a follow up conversation and unless there's something else in this topic that you want to share with the listeners you talked no, no no about level 5 leaders and some qualities of, of level five leaders, and just is a, like an extra piece of icing on the cake to this incredible, incredible conversation. You brought so much value. Can you talk about what is a level five leader and just a few of those characteristics? I just got, you know. That, that, that's a
1: term that Jim Collins coined. And, and if you research it, you'll see there are milestones to achieving level five of leadership. It's the highest form of leadership but the two two conditions that separate them from other leaders for me are one is humility level 5 leaders show great humility and so what's the opposite of humility some of the people that we were talking about or the or the behaviors we were talking about were high ego it's all about me level 5 leaders danny understand that in their role they are willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. It's that shift from it's all about me to all about we. Wow. And the other outstanding characteristic about level five leaders is the willpower that they have. It's undeniable force. You can feel it. You can hear it in their voice. They are driven to high performance. They are driven at developing and working and getting feedback from the people that they work with. You know the kind of leaders we're talking about. You love working for them. You love working with them because they are compassionate. They care deeply about the people that they they work with. They put them above themselves. That to me are some of the characteristics that Jim Collins talks about when he speaks around level five leaders.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I I just, you know, you and I have talked about that. It just, you know, it's made the hair on my arms stick up, the hair on the back of my neck stick up and just, you know, humility, sacrifice themselves for the greater good and that willpower, that relentless determination, understanding there's always a way and they're they're the driving force. Wow. So Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much. No, Danny, it's, I'm in the middle seat, man. We're right next to each other. I feel good with this. Yes. The, so today, you've shared so much great information. Information with our listeners, in, in talking about high-performing cultures, uh, I am drawn back to the beginning of our conversation to the words of Peter Drucker: "Culture, each strategy for breakfast." High-performing cultures create high-performing teams that achieve and sustain organizational excellence. These cultures create an environment for your team to perform at their highest level, Jeff. I hope you get a chance to come back and join us soon. This isn't the only expertise you have.
1: I'd I'd love that.
0: Yes. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about Jeff Mariola, follow him on LinkedIn or go to his website at mariolaunlimited.com. Mariola M-A-R-I-O-L-A Unlimited.com. To our listeners, thank you for sharing this time with us. I hope you found this episode helpful. If you did, Please hit the subscribe button to the podcast. Please give us a rating. Please leave us a review. That helps so much for other people to find us. And remember, always be committed to excellence.